Good morning, uh, HC. My name is Grant, one of the pastors here. So thankful to be here with you guys uh, this morning. Uh, we've been going through our series Lessons from the Wilderness in the Book of Numbers. Um, where we've been, we've talked about a number of things throughout um, the Book of Numbers, from grumbling and complaining to the bronze serpent to God's blessing. And this morning, uh, we arrive uh, in Moab, um, and so there's going to be a map that pops up on the screen for you guys, just to give you guys an idea of where we've been. We've been through the wilderness of Sinai, traveled, the wilderness of Paran, traveled, and now we arrive to Moab. And so this morning, what we're going to be talking about, there's a lot to unload, a lot to unpack. So I'm going to need you guys to listen very quickly so we can get through this quickly. If you don't, it's on you, it's not on me, okay? Um, just kidding. So, But we do have a lot to cover this morning, excited to see what the Word of God has for us this morning. May we receive it, may we apply it, and may we put it into practice. A question for you guys. Everything has a price. Uh, what's something you paid too high a price for, and looking back, you wonder if it was worth the cost? Looking back now, you wonder if it was worth the cost. For some of you, it may be a vehicle. Uh, it may be a pair of um, uh, pants or something like that. It may be a house. It may be an investment. It may be uh, something you bought for fun. Uh, for whatever reason, whenever I think about this, the first few things that come to my mind are like dates. Um, and so uh, me and my wife, when we first started dating, one of our first dates was to the Arkansas State Fair. And nothing says love like the smell of fried dough and manure. Am I right, guys? Um, so that's what we wanted to go do. Uh, that's what she wanted to go do, and I ended up saying yes. Um, so we ended up going there uh, to the state fair, and like right out of the gates, I'm just like, this may not be a good idea. Um, and so you get out, you have to pay for parking, you walk up to the front gate, you have to pay just to be let in inside the state fair. Uh, we finally get inside, you realize you have to pay for this, you have to pay for that, and it's like trying to, you know, have a good impression, make sure she likes me and I like her, and we're having a good, a good time making sure everything is going well. Um, and so we uh, go and ride some rides, and we end up coming up to this game, and they had the animals up there, and she starts to look at one, thinking like, hey, I may want one of those, and I'm like... <laughs> Like, those things are like, they try to cheat you out of money, they try to cheat you out of whatever they can, and it's like, okay, let's just give it a shot. Um, and it's one of those games where you have to throw and hit some stuff, and so I lay some money down on the table. And I think I ended up hitting something on that, and I was like, okay, what do I get? And he points to some, like, small little thing, and so I look at it, and then I look at her, she looks at me, so I look at him, and it's like, put some more money on the table to get something bigger. <laughs> and so we keep doing that. Throw again and end up doing that again. And by the time we leave here with this, and we still have this stupid little monkey, it's like green and blue, whatever, at the house and stuff. But it's like we leave with this thing, and like no telling how much I could have gotten if I like got it on um, uh, online or something like that. But we leave with this thing, and I'm thinking like this date was way too expensive. I ended up paying way too much, and I'm not so sure it was worth it. But hey, we're still together, still married, have a couple kids, so all is good. Yada, yada, yada. Um, sometimes, though, things are more costly. Things are more costly than we want them to be. Our disobedience and our sin always is. Our story this morning, as we look at God's word, is going to talk about that. We're going to look at the Israelites. We're going to look at a few characters and what their disobedience cost them. So big idea this morning, big idea this morning, is that God speaks Sin cost, worship won. That God speaks to us, sin is costly, 
and that we should worship one and only one. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at Numbers chapters 22 through 25. You can go ahead and flip to Numbers chapter 22 uh, in your copy of God's Word. If you need one, they are uh, under the chair in front of you. You can use one of those, or if you're watching online, feel free to grab whatever's closest to you, whether it be a tablet or device as well. Um, but this morning we're going to be talking about some pretty wild stories. In Israel's history, um, the chapters we're going to be reading are narrative, meaning they're like telling a story as it's happening, as it's going. Um, and so we're going to unpack this, unpack this this morning. Again, there's a lot. Hang on. Buckle up. We arrive to the plains of Moab. There's going to be an image that pops up on your screen. Uh, the Israelites are going to camp east of the Jordan River. If you're looking at that uh, map, it means to the right of the Jordan River, uh, across from Jericho. So you can see on this map over here, the red line kind of indicating where all we've been through our journey into the wilderness. And then on the right, it kind of gives you a little larger area where that arrow stops right up along the Jordan River. And they come up to this area of Moab. Now, Moab has a king named Balak. And we're going to learn a little bit about him. Uh, so the people of Israel, they've been traveling, complaining, grumbling, arrive to the area. They're close. Oh, they're so close. It's like you're on that road trip that lasts forever, and you finally get close to your, to your destination. And that's where the Israelites are, almost to the end of a 40-year journey. Read with me Numbers chapter 22, verses 2 through 5. Balak, an important part, uh, important character of our story this morning. Balak, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. The Amorites, another people group, the Israelites trampled over them, destroyed them. Verse 3, and when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. Verse 4, the king of Moab, Balak, said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything inside. He says they're like an ox that devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, we see in verse 5, he sends messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor. So we see Balaam and Balak, okay? Balak is the king of Moab. Balaam is somebody who he's going to call upon. He's going to send his messengers to go and get this guy named Balaam because Balak is afraid of the Israelites. He's afraid of what's going to happen now that they're in their area. If only he would have known and listened and been aware of the message that the Lord gave to the Israelites. He said, you will not take the land of Moab. He was not going to give it to them before they were the descendants of Lot. But either way, Balak gets scared. He's afraid of what's going to happen to them. And he sends for this guy named Balaam. Now, Balaam is quite a character. He's uh, not uh, a guy you want to be like. He's a hired seer, uh, prophet, um, sorcerer, conjurer. Um, he's one that can kind of see and tell things that are going to happen. Um, he's a non-Israelite, but yet he is able to hear from Yahweh, hear from the Israelite God. Um, and God even speaks to him. In a few instances. Uh, Balaam comes up often in the Bible. For a guy like Balaam, it's honestly, it's interesting how often he comes up. He's mentioned in five books in the Old Testament and three books in the New Testament. And we're going to look at why Balaam keeps coming up. What's so important about Balaam that we continue to hear about him? Uh, Balaam is not a person to emulate. He's not a role model for us. Uh, he's this seer, sorcerer. Maybe for you, you can kind of get an idea in your head, but don't think that he's like this, but an idea in your head that he might be like Sauron from Lord of the Rings or uh, Voldemort from the little uh, wizard boy movie, something like that. So just an idea. But what we're talking about this morning, it, it's not fiction. It's not fiction. 
It's truth. I want you guys to understand that. The Word of God is truth. And these seemingly unbelievable stories we're going to be looking at this morning are truth. Y'all check this quote out up on the screen. Bodhi Bauckham uh, says that the Bible is a reliable collection of historical documents written by eyewitnesses during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses. He goes on to say the accuracy of historical events presented in the Bible, presented in the Word of God, is supported by the findings of, check this, more than 23,000, more than 23,000 archaeological digs. Awesome sauce, Grant. Why are you telling me that? Well, in 1967, somewhere in the Jordan area, an archaeological dig was taking place. They found fragments of a plastered wall. They pieced these fragments together, and they translated the message on these fragments. And what these fragments were talking about was a man named Balaam, whose dad was Beor, who was a seer sorcerer. And it talks about him having a conversation with, when translated into our language, the Almighty. And so we see archaeological facts support the Word of God. Not that we need to know that, not that you needed that this morning, but the Word of God is truth. The Bible is truth. So back to our story, Balak and and Balaam. So Balak gets scared. He calls for Balaam. He calls for Balaam. He sends his messengers um, uh, to bribe Balaam to pretty much pay him whatever he wants to get him to come over here to help and to speak uh, curses upon the Israelites. In Balak's head, the Israelites are too powerful, but yet he doesn't understand God is just wanting them to pass through. But Balak gets scared. Um, so we see uh, Balak sends these messengers to Balaam. They say, look, our king is scared. He wants you to come and curse these people. I uh, want you to come over here. And Balaam's like, okay, let me go speak to God, and I'll get back to you. So he says, wait overnight. He speaks to God overnight, God says, you are not to curse these people, for I have blessed them. I have blessed them. I've got my blessing upon them. So Balaam goes back to Balak's messengers and says, I can't do it. God said no. So we see these messengers go back to Balak. They tell him the bad news. Balak, like, he's like, uh-uh, I want my way. I'm sending even more prestigious messengers with more money, and we're going to get this guy to do what we want him to do. So, again, we see him return, tells him what's up. Can you place a curse on them for me? Read Numbers chapter 22, verses 12 through 13. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. So the next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. This is when the first group of messengers goes, talks to Balak. Balak sends him back. We see in verse 16, read with me. They go to Balaam and give this message uh, from Balak. The second group of messengers here in verse 16 from Balak says, Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well. Sounds really nice in Balaam's ears. And do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. Verse 18. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold. Now Balaam's starting to dream. He's starting to dream here. Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. And it sounds pretty good of of Balaam to say that. But here's what Balaam does. But stay here one uh, one more night. Let's just see if we can change God's mind. Let's just see if I can actually get this money. 
and say this curse for you. And I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. So here we see Balaam and Balak both wanting something, both being told no, but they're trying at it again. Balak is wanting the Israelites to be cursed. Balaam is wanting this money. God has already spoken a no, but they keep pushing back. They keep going after what they are wanting. And so for us, whenever God has given us his answer, whenever God has spoken to us, how often do we push back and go back to God saying, "Uh uh-uh, I want what I want. I don't want what you want. How often do we find ourselves in the same shoes as Balaam and Balak? Story keeps going, gets a little bit more interesting. Verse 20, at night, God comes to Balaam and says, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them. So God's like, look, I've already told you no. You are continuing to ask me. So I'm going to say, you know what, go with them. Go on. But do what I tell you to do. So the next morning, Balaam wakes up, saddles up his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. And so we see that God is angry with Balaam in this situation. So he travels, uh, Balaam travels to go see Balak. And so as he's traveling, God sends an angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block Balaam's way. Now this, okay? Verse 22. So here's the story of Balaam and his donkey. As Balaam, verse 22, as Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord that God had sent. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolts. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Verse 24, then the angel of the Lord stood at a place. They get back up. They continue on their journey. Then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. Verse 25, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he does the same thing. It tried to squeeze by, get away from the angel, and it crushes Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beats the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further on down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by. In verse 27, this time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam. And in a fit of rage, Balaam gets beat just as bad as McGregor did last night. In a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. He's just angry. He's frustrated. He's beating this animal. So this great sorcerer, this well-known conjurer, In a fit of rage, his two servants are watching alongside the road. Is just beating this animal. Frustrated, upset. Then, then, verse 28, then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I knew that's where you all, I knew that's where all of you guys thought the story was going. That next, you know, obviously next is that the donkey opens up his mouth and speaks. Not sure about you, whenever I think of a talking donkey, this image pops up in my head. It's kind of hard not to think about that. That is not what happened uh, on on this road, uh, on this journey to visit Balak. But this donkey starts speaking. Uh, I spoke with a leading uh, donkey vocal cord specialist and local uh, veterinarian, Dr. Alex Bradford, on whether or not donkeys talk. He did a lot of research and appreciate him spending all the time on that. Uh, He gave us his answer real quick on whether or not, no, they don't. No, 
they don't. And I gave you credit, Alex. It says donkey vocal cord specialist. So you can add that to your, to your resume there. Um, but thanks for uh, offering up your expertise on that. They don't. But God uses this animal to grab Balaam's attention and in humorous fashion. God opens up the mouth of this donkey. A few donkey jokes for you. What's the hardest type of key to turn? A donkey, there you go. Good job. It's not going to get much better than that, so hold on. What do donkeys send out near Christmas? Muletide greetings? Anybody? Okay. And then what do you call a donkey in the Arctic? Lost. I thought that was funny. Sorry. Um, please forgive me. Look, but look, the, cre- the creator of the heavens and the earth, the creator of everything, uses a donkey to talk and speak to Balaam. He opens the mouth of a donkey. And we see oftentimes that God uses in Scripture his creation to point others to him. We see uh, with Jonah and the well. We see with Daniel and the lions. And with Daniel, God shuts the mouths of lions. But we see here with Balaam, God opens the mouth of a donkey to point others to him. Uh, Continue reading with me. Verse 28. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. The donkey speaking here. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. Balaam says, if I had a sword, I would kill you with it. Like, good grief. Talking like siblings fighting or something like that. Uh, Verse 30. But I am the same donkey you've ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before. And the donkey's like, stumps Balaam here. Ask a pretty legitimate question. And Balaam has to like stop and ponder. The donkey's point is saying like, look, I'm the same donkey you've ridden all your life. Have I ever just done this, bolted off into a field, crushed your foot, just got down in fear? And Balaam thinks about it and is like, well, well, no donkey, you haven't. He says, no, Balaam admitted. Verse 31, then after opening the donkey's mouth, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. And so how ironic is it that this seer, this one who can see things and tell things, can't even see what this donkey sees. And how ironic is it that this one who's supposed to be able to speak blessing and speak curses is caught on the side of a road speaking to a donkey. For the one that's supposed to be wise and speak truth, this donkey is speaking more truth than Balaam. And our first point that we talked about this morning is that God speaks. God speaks. God probably isn't going to use a donkey to speak to you today. But I do believe that he is using his word to speak to us today. And he is using other believers and followers of Jesus who are being led by the Spirit to speak to us today. And so how many people or adults in your life can say, just like the donkey said, haven't I always been there for you? Haven't I always had your best interest? But we're not listening to them. 
Are we too busy trying to negotiate with God to get our way and not just simply listen to what God is telling us to do? How often do we find an angle to get what we want as opposed to just being obedient to God and his word? God speaks. He he has given us his word. He has given us brothers and sisters in Christ to speak to us as well. And I've heard it said that if you want to see what God has to say about something, read the Bible. And if you want to hear God's voice, read the Bible out loud. Numbers 22, verses 32 through 33. Continue reading. It's going to be up on the screen. Verse 32. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded? Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Verse 33, three times the donkey saw me and shot away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. He's pretty much saying this donkey has spared your life. It has saved your life by seeing me, even though you couldn't see me. And in verse 34, Balaam realizes what he's done. He has sinned, and he admits it. He has been disobedient to God. He has not listened to God, and he admits his sin. And Balaam offers up turning around. He said, I'll go back if you want me to. But in verse 35, the angel of the Lord tells Balaam, that's not what I want you to do. Go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam continues. He arrives gets closer to Moab, uh, gets closer to Balak. When Balak hears that he's coming, uh, we see Balak's like, hey, bro, what's up? Like, where you been at? And like, Balaam could have answered, hey, sorry, I had to pull over on the side of the road, have a talk with my donkey. All's good now. Let's do this thing. That's not what he says. Probably should have. But verse 38, Balaam replies, look, now I have come, but I have no power to say whatever I want. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. I will speak only the message that God puts in my mouth. And if there were a handful of wise things Balaam said, that would be one of them. That would be one of them. So we see in the next two chapters, chapters 23, 24, I'm going to briefly cover that with you guys, that Balak is wanting to manipulate God. He's been told already, but he's wanting to get this curse placed upon the Israelites. God has already said no, that he's going to bless. So Balak gets Balaam, and he's wanting to manipulate God and what he wants. And so he takes Balaam to these three high places in their area. At each place, they can look down and see part of the Israelite camp. At each place, there's seven altars. At each place, they sacrifice seven young bulls and seven rams. And so in these two chapters, once these sacrifices are made, Balaam would go and talk to God. God would give his message to Balaam, and then Balaam would come and deliver it to Balak and the people. And what uh, the Word of God is called this is like an oracle or a pronouncement. And so Balaam gives these pronouncements. And for the first three, for the first three when Balak's trying to get his way, it's all the same. God will not curse them. God is going to bless them. And each time, Balak gets angrier and angrier and angrier. Balaam says he can't speak against God. For God's promise was given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 1, where it said, I will give this land to your descendants. And we're just going to take a step back real quick. And where are the Israelites during all this? As they are overlooking them, they're down there complaining, 
grumbling and questioning God. All right, come back to Balaam and Balak. So Balak stays persistent. He thinks if he keeps trying, eventually God will give him what he wants. Balak is like shaking the eight ball. See, if I shake it this time, maybe he'll say yes. If I shake it this time, maybe it'll tell me what I want to hear. He keeps staying persistent. So after three failed attempts, Balak is furious. He claps his hands. He's yelling at Balaam. And at the end of chapter 24, we see Balaam give this fourth and final pronouncement. And he prophesies of a star that will rise from Jacob and a scepter that will emerge from Israel and speaks blessing a fourth time for Israel. And so our story of Balaam so far, I mean, it's, it's not looking too bad. Like, Balaam's not that bad of a guy. He's been speaking blessing. He's been saying, I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do. But unfortunately, that's not where Balaam's story ends. Balaam couldn't curse Israel directly, but he could hurt them indirectly. He has a plan to still get some of Balak's reward. Balak is persistent, and Balaam is listening. So when we jump into chapter 25, it opens up saying that some of the Israelites defiled themselves by having inappropriate relations with the Moabite women. And so this whole time, 22, 23, 24, we're talking about Balaam and Balak, and then we jump into 25, and it's talking about the Israelites now. They've defiled themselves. They're sinning. They're still complaining. They're still grumbling. And in verse 2 and 3 of chapter 25 says this, These women, talking about the Moabite women, invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods. So the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. In this way, Israel joined in the worship of Baal, one of the first times we hear of Baal, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. And Israel plays the role of the fleeing prostitute all too well, never faithful to the one who is. God is angry. Because of Israel's sin, God sends a plague. Israel faces judgment. And it isn't until later in chapter 25 that we see this anger of God's is turned away simply because an Israelite named Phineas acts in zeal, meaning he was passionate about the things God was passionate about. So, chapter 25, Israel sins, they're judged, but it ends because of a man named Phineas has zeal, has, was passionate about the things God was passionate about. But why the sin in chapter 25? What led them to worship these idols? What led them to partake in these uh, defiling relationships with these women? This will jump to chapters uh, 31 in Numbers. It'll be up on the screen, verse 16. It gives us an insight of what's been actually taking place. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. Says they are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people because they followed Balaam's advice. So apparently, after the visions were finished, after the pronouncements were done, Balaam apparently remained in Moab and kept working the angles. Balak's promising riches, whatever he wants. Balaam is listening. And so Balaam stays and continues to get what he wants. And Balaam's sin catches up to him. 
He finds a way to damage Israel and get the money. Second Peter describes Balaam as one who loved to earn money by doing wrong. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, it'll be up on the screen. This message to the church in Pergamum. Sin is rampant here. This place is described as the throne of Satan. Verse 14 says, But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. And so what we thought of Balaam wasn't all that bad. Turns out that he stayed and he kept chasing after this money that he wanted. And it leads the Israelites to sin while Balaam sins as well. And so that's how Balaam goes down. That's how he's remembered. As a greedy magician who talks to a donkey. Sin has consequences. We've seen this with the Israelites. We see this in Balaam's story. That sin costs. Sin is costly. Brings us to our second point. And the payment is high. For the Israelites, their sin of not trusting God, their sin of complaining, their sin of arguing, their sin of questioning, being with the Midianites in a defiling relationship leads to plague, death, wandering. And for us today, our sin has consequences as well, and it leads to death. And I've heard it said that often our problem with sin is that God hates sin, but we don't. That God hates sin, but we don't. Francis Chan says that lukewarm people don't really want to be saved from their sin. They want only to be saved from the penalty of their sin. Our consequences and our penalty for sin is costly. But Jesus... Read with me Romans chapter 6, verses 20 through 23. We sing about how God is faithful this morning. Thankful for a God who is faithful and loves us in the middle of our sin and when we fail. Verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. Verse 21, and what was the result? What was the result? You were now ashamed of the things you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. Verse 22, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. We sang about this and talked about this last week. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin cost. Our sin is costly and it leads to leads to death. I love this quote that Nick shared. Uh, He said it before, and I'm going to say it this morning, that sin will keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. But thankful, church, that when we sin, we can continue to go to God and ask for forgiveness, that we're able to turn away from those sins because of what Jesus has done for us. He has made a payment for us. Because of Jesus, we can have life. We can have new life. We only need to place our faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. We need to repent. The more we see God as he is, the more glorious and majestic and powerful and all-knowing and almighty and worthy of our praise, 
the more we see sin as something to weep over. The more we weep over our sin, the more we see the need for repentance, to turn from our sin. It's a change in our actions, our words, and our minds, and our hearts. We turn from our sin. No longer my way, but his way. No longer what I want, but what he wants. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sins. In church, we need Jesus. This quote from Timothy Keller says, Sin isn't only doing bad things. It is more fundamentally making good things into ultimate things. Listen to me, student, parent, grandparent, adult, senior adult. Sin is building your life in meaning on anything, even a very good thing, more than on God. Sin is building your life in meaning on anything more than on God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. Sin is primarily adultery. Idolatry. We need to worship one. Balaam, Balak, and the Israelites struggle with this. The first commandment God gives to the Israelites in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, says, You must not have any other God before me. Verse 4, you must not make for yourself an idol. Verse 5, you must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. We need to worship one. Him and Him alone. 25 hours a day, 8 days a week, 32 days a month, and 13 months a year. And I know what you're thinking, Grant, there's not 13 months in a year. I know there's 14. It's okay. Here's the thing. We should be worshiping God so much that it overflows, that we don't have enough hours in the day, days in the week, weeks in the month, months in the year, to worship God, all that is due to Him. But may we worship Him and Him alone with our lives. God gets our worship, Him and Him alone. An idol is anything we place ahead of God in our lives and our hearts. For you, I don't know what that looks like. It may be one thing. It may be many things. For me in my life, it's been a number of things. It could be your career, a relationship, uh, possessions, a hobby, sports, entertainment, goals, greed, addictions. You may be thinking, I'm good here. I don't have any idols. I don't got to worry about any of that. But if you were to look at your calendar, if you were to look at your bank account, would it say the exact same thing? Uh, me and my wife, uh, uh, it's funny how she's uh, grown to love this as well, like watching NFL. We enjoy getting to watch this. Uh, there's a picture that's going to come up on the screen. This is from the uh, 2019 NFL draft that was in Nashville. And so uh, uh, sometimes I'll get on Twitter just to try, try to keep up with all the draft picks, who from the Hogs got picked, but there may have been one that year or something like that. Um, uh, but we're just trying to keep up with that. And then you see all these cool pictures. And then a picture like this pops up that grabbed my attention. And the comment to it said, walking through downtown Nashville and stopped by to check out this worship service. Like, ah, why'd you have to say that about the NFL? <laughs> but it's true, right? Somebody's name is called out and fans go wild and crazy. They cheer, they celebrate. An idol is anything we place ahead of God in our lives. Look, I have sinned, 
and have experienced the grief that it causes. That God speaks, and at times I'm disobedient to what God says. And sin is costly, and it hurts. I've experienced grief from that, but I've also experienced the love God has for us. That sin is costly, but God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to pay the price for your sin and for my sin. If we would simply worship one, if we'd simply worship him and him alone. He is faithful time and time and time and time and time and time and time again. He is faithful to us. Church, God speaks. Sin costs. May we worship one. Earlier this morning, we asked, what's something you paid too high a price for? And looking back, you wonder if it was worth the cost. Our sins have consequences. We see this in Balaam's story, in Balak's, and in the Israelite story. But for you today, Jesus has made the payment for your sins and for mine, for your mistakes and mine, and he's paid it in full. He's the atonement for our sins. Church, God is speaking. Are you listening? Sin is costly. May we realize the payment for it and repent and turn from it. Maybe you need to do that for the first time today, or maybe you've already done that, made the decision to follow Jesus, but you're still struggling with sin and need to repent and turn away from those sins. May we worship one. God gets our worship, him and him alone, for he is faithful. When Balaam and Balak are up high wishing for curses to fall upon the Israelites, God is saying no, nothing but blessing. God is being faithful to them even when the Israelites are not faithful to him. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a chance to sing another song, just to give praise and thanks to God and his faithfulness this morning. Father, we come before you this morning, God. God, as we look at this story from the book of Numbers, God, we give you thanks as it is a warning to us. That like the Israelites, God, who fled and wondered were disobedient God that we can learn from them and realize that you are speaking to us that your word is truth and we need to listen sin is costly may we abstain from it may we be pure and holy and keep from it God and may we repent and ask for forgiveness may we turn away from our sin and in response God may our lives be an act of worship, a living sacrifice to you, that we would worship one, that we would worship you and you alone. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.